When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we begin, here's a reminder that as a valued listener to our podcast, you can get a discount subscription to New Scientist using the code POD20. Go to newscientist.com slash POD20 to subscribe and enjoy all the content of the magazine plus audio versions of the stories. NewScientist.com slash pod20 gets you the 20% discount. Hello and welcome again to New Scientist Weekly, where we're chewing up all the stuff in the world of science. And we've got a really nice international team this week. I'm Rowan Hooper in London. And I'm Chelsea White in Portland, Oregon. We're also joined by Leah Crane in Chicago and Alice Klein in Sydney, Australia. Hello, both of you. Hi. Hello. On the show this week, we've got an interview from science fiction legend and award-winning author Kim Stanley Robinson, and we're talking about Tesla becoming the second fastest company ever to reach a trillion-dollar valuation. That'll leave Facebook being the first fastest, is that right? Right, you got it, yeah. We're also discussing the tantalizing signals received by the Breakthrough Listen program that listens for signs of extraterrestrial intelligence. And we have a story from Alice on the worrying decline in sperm quality in American men. I want to ask what your Halloween monster would be this year, you two, Chelsea and Leia. Uh, so this is your chance to think on that before the end of the show. But let's start. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But actually, I, I want to start with a horror story, really. Um, uh, a, bit of, a bit of climate reality. Yeah, we're going to be reporting from Glasgow next week. So that will be the first week of COP26. And Rowan, you'll be recording a special episode of the podcast for the second week. but. Today, this week, we wanted to discuss a report called The Emissions Gap from the United Nations Environment Program, and they've totted up all the emissions pledges made by countries ahead of the COP26 summit and found that even if those pledges are all carried out, the planet will warm by 2.7 degrees. Yeah, yeah, Uh, I shouldn't really laugh. Uh, That's disastrous, basically, and even the UN says it's catastrophic. And without going into all the things that might happen to the Earth system with that much warming, uh, I just want to make one point, which is that, you know, as we've been reporting on over this year, you know, we've seen the the floods and the massive rainfall events and the drought and heat waves and wildfires. And that's only with 1.1 or 1.2 degrees of warming that we're seeing at the moment. So you can start to imagine what 1.5 degrees will be like. And this is talking about 2.7 And so the point is that we know from modelling that the impacts of of warming don't scale linearly with temperature rise. The changes get steeper. So the difference in impact between 1.5 and 2 is less than that between 2 and 3 degrees. So that's why the UN says we're heading into catastrophic territory. 
Yeah, it's really frightening. You know, uh, I live out on the West Coast and here we lived through the last couple of years of intense wildfires and heat waves. And I can't imagine it getting worse than it was. It was already terrible. So it's pretty frightening. Yeah. So at the Paris summit in 2015, everyone agreed to limit warming to 1.5 degrees or two, two degrees. But, you know, despite that agreement, the plans that countries have put forward just don't seem to move fast enough. Is that what's going on? Yeah, and we don't have formal plans, and certainly there's not legal pledges mm. from enough big countries. And what we do have, the report, this report, this emissions gap report shows, that leaves us with 2.7 degrees of warming. And even if India, say, which hasn't put a plan forward yet, even if they stepped up with a really ambitious target and pledge, it's not going to do much at this stage. No, um, it's not going to do much. And it, But it would be really important symbolically, I guess, and in terms of momentum and leadership, um, you know, and it's not just India, is it? China hasn't submitted its revised plan, nor has Russia or South Africa, for example. Right. But we do expect those to come in before COP26 starts. Yeah, they have to come in so that their leaders have something to read out at the beginning of the whole event. And we'll report on that next week. There is a bit of optimism to cling to here. So we always try to find that. And the optimism is that Lots of countries have made pledges to get to net zero emissions by 2050 or 2060, uh, even China. And if they do cut emissions enough to reach those targets, then we get to 2.2 degrees only of warming. I guess that's starting to look encouraging. (laughs) Um, But not many of these net zero pledges are set into law, are they? No, No, that's the problem. So we have to just really keep the pressure up. Now, our next segment leads on nicely from this because we've got an interview in the magazine with the science fiction author and legend Kim Stanley Robinson. I've talked about him and his work a lot on the podcast because his books seem they seem more like peeks into the future rather than a, a story, you know, a fantasy science fiction story with aliens and things. And our reporter Adam Vaughan did the interview. I've pulled out a few bits from it, which we're going to play now. And Adam first asked Kim Stanley Robinson who he admires in the climate movement. Here's something interesting, because I haven't Mm. been able to say this for a long time, but America's president, Joe Biden, he has been surprisingly good on climate. And I say this as a leftist and really gloriously happy to have the Trump era ended. Mm. And I'm sure for good, by the way. But the thing is that Biden came in as this this kind of center-right, extremely cautious and moderate middle-of-the-road Democrat. His actions since becoming president have been more like FDR, bold and persistent in experimentation with a brain trust of experts brought in to actually govern and uh, advise and make legislation and, and jam it through. It's been really impressive. And I I am surprised to be able to say that, but I am really pleased also. I was also interested to hear what Kim Stanley Robinson said when Adam asked him about geoengineering and whether it's a climate solution worth looking into. I think it is worth looking into. Absolutely. I think we are in an all hands deck situation that is getting a bit desperate. And all of the calls for decarbonization admit that we're going to put more CO2 in the atmosphere than we ought to have there, even if we behave really well from now on out. And so immediately the question becomes, how do we draw that carbon down? And there are methods, 
Some of them look quite natural, and some of them have to do with uh, growing food in a way that draws down carbon as well. It's all very exciting. It's all very uh, looking very necessary. People fixate on the solar radiation management, the idea that we cast some dust into the atmosphere and, and um, bounce some sunlight away. You know, we've already put in more than 100 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere and it started to cook things with a greenhouse effect. So the idea that we ought not to tamper with the atmosphere is already a dead point. We already have. So then the question becomes, can we do it in a way that helps? And I say, and I'm just a science fiction writer, but what I'm seeing is people who are saying you could indeed imitate a volcanic eruption, but use limestone dust instead of sulfur dioxide so that you have a less toxic effect on the ozone layer. You cast that up there. It falls back down to the ground. Five years later, you're back to square one. You're not forced to do it forever. It could become an emergency move if we start having mass heat deaths around the world and you drop the temperature for five years by a degree or two and then you're back to square one, you can look at what happened. You can see, well, what was the real effect on the monsoon? There are various scare stories that are put out immediately that are based on um, simulations that we're not at all sure are accurate. So um, in short, I think we need to put everything on the table and talk about it and not have any uh, shibboleths, you know, the things that can't Mm. be said. Oh, you can't do geoengineering. It's not leftist enough or it's, a moral hazard. These are all dead answers. Those are answers from the year 2000. We're way past that. And in desperate times, you, you need to at least consider everything that you might have to hand to deal with the problem. And finally, Kim Stanley Robinson is generally optimistic about human ingenuity and survival. And he always has said he, that he likes a happy ending in a novel. So Adam asked him if he thinks we'll have a happy ending when it comes to climate change. We could have a good 21st century. We could have a good dealing with climate change. We could cope. We could have a good Anthropocene. And the interesting thing is, once you say that, you have to try to tell that story. This is what I charge the young science fiction writers with. If you could have a good outcome, you have to write that story so people can imagine it in advance and then try for it. So there's an imperative, a kind of moral imperative, Write the happy endings is a novelistic way of saying it, but make the good history. That's the social way of saying it. Time for a quick break. Uh, I don't know if you struggle with falling asleep, but if you do, then we have the perfect podcast suggestion for you. It's called Sleep Whispers. Sleep Whispers. (laughs) Sleep Whispers. (laughs) And it is 100% gentle whispering of bedtime stories, guided relaxations, and even fun trivia questions or interesting Wikipedia articles. You can search for the Sleep Whispers podcast in your podcast player, or simply click the link in the episode notes. Sleep Whispers. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So we've got a story from our space reporter, Leah Crane, about signals from aliens. Or not aliens. Right, right Leah? Did you just almost call me an alien? Um, <laughs> I do think in this case, we should say right away that it seems to not be aliens. And just like every other time, right? Yeah, so far. So this was a signal detected by the Breakthrough Listen Project, and that's a program funded by the Russian billionaire Yuri Milner to find evidence of life beyond Earth. It was detected in 2019 and reported late last year. And you called it the strongest candidate yet for an alien signal. So why did we think it was so promising at the time? Basically, it had gotten past a few filters that the Breakthrough Listen Project has in place to sort of filter out stuff that's obviously not aliens. (laughs) This radio signal was seen by the Parks Observatory in Australia, which observed the Proxima Centauri system, which is our nearest star system. And that's a pretty good candidate for catching potential signals of alien life, right? So Proxima Centauri has at least one planet in the habitable zone around it, which is where it could be the right temperature for liquid water to exist on a planet's surface. Exactly. So Breakthrough Listen had the Parks Observatory pointed right at Proxima Centauri, and they saw more than 4 million radio emissions in various assorted wavelengths. And about 1 million of those passed through the first check which filters out anything that doesn't smoothly change over time, like those signals should if they're coming from a rotating planet orbiting a star. And any signal that passes that step goes through another pretty basic test, which is that if this is coming from a civilization on a planet, or really anything that's not the Earth's surface, the signal should disappear when the telescope is pointed away from the star system. It should only happen when the telescope is pointed at a thing. And that narrowed down those million leftover signals down to about 5,000. That's still a lot. So (laughs) how did the researchers determine that this one signal out of that 5,000 could be a potential alien techno signature? Um, There's a few special characteristics, one of which is that it lasted um, for about two and a half hours, which doesn't match really any astronomical sources of radio waves. And it also didn't match any registered radio transmitters within a thousand kilometers of the observatory. So they thought it probably didn't come from Earth. Yeah, I mean, that does rule out a lot of possibilities. I I suppose it does make sense to get a little excited and think it, you know, could be aliens. (laughs) (laughs) But as we said, it doesn't actually seem to be. So what happened here? So it it took them some time to analyze the signal. Uh, A team out of UC Berkeley 
dug through old observations of other signals from Proxima Centauri, looking for ones that were similar to this new one. And they found 60 that were in many ways nearly identical to this one signal that we thought was maybe aliens. And all of those 60 remained when the telescope was pointed at Proxima Centauri and when it was pointed away, which is disappointing because that suggests that those were all produced by human technology near the observatory. And the same goes for this new signal. Um, The team says it was most likely made by two interfering radio transmitters on Earth. It's always so man. It's always turns into be such a mundane explanation, doesn't it? Like you know, they find something, or someone left the hairdryer on in the lab next door, or something. Yeah, usually, it's, you know, it's that. Now, I don't know if you've been watching Why the Last Man on TV, Alice. No, should I be? Uh, possibly. Uh, <laughs> the book was really good. The graphic novel. It was. It was a graphic novel that followed. What happens when everyone with a Y chromosome dies and there's only one cis man left in the world? Well, it's, you know, it's a really intriguing premise. But the story you've got this week reminded me a bit of that. Although, yeah, let's say straight away, it's much less dramatic. But it's about how sperm quality is declining among men in the United States. And that's got fertility experts worried because, you know, it could make it harder for people to have children. Simple as that. So how do we know, first of all, that sperm quality is declining, Alice? Well, this can actually be easily monitored because when men in the US donate sperm, IVF clinics test it to make sure that it contains some decent swimmers. And uh, a recent study that looked at the test results for 170,000 semen samples that were donated by young, healthy 19 to 38-year-olds between 2005 and 2021 uh, from nine regions across the US that found that the average sperm count has been steadily dropping over this 16-year period, and the average number of sperm in the samples that could actually swim also dropped. And this is in line with studies from Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, which also report declining sperm quality. So what's going on? Do we know? Well, scientists suspect that it might be to do with our increasing exposure to chemicals called endocrine disruptors, and these mimic our natural hormones and interfere with how they work. Unfortunately, these chemicals are just everywhere. So they're in food packaging, cosmetics, pesticides, the flame retardants that coat things like couches and mattresses and rugs and things. And there's increasing evidence that they can affect sperm quality. Then on top of this, there are lifestyle factors that might also be contributing, like increased stress and obesity. And does all this mean that it's becoming harder for people to have children because sperm might not be as as potent as it used to be? This is something that's difficult to know because even though birth rates are going down and more and more people are having to turn to IVF to get pregnant, there could be lots of other things going on here. So, for example, you know, people might just want to have smaller families or people might be trying to conceive at older ages when fertility naturally wanes anyway. Okay, so we're not going to get to this why the last man situation when you know there's there's nothing left there's no sperm left at all but what is going to happen if um if sperm counts keep going down there are some fertility experts warning that if we continue on this current trajectory then the average sperm count will actually be zero by the year 2045 (laughs) and yeah and that would suggest that most people won't be able to conceive naturally anymore 
which it does sound a little bit like The Handmaiden's Tale. I don't know if you've seen it. It might be the kind of same theme as this Last Man show. But others say that's overly pessimistic and obviously it's quite hard to know what's going to happen in 2045. I had to stop watching The Handmaiden's Tale actually after series one. I read the book years ago, but then it just became so bleak. I had to to give up on it. Um, But surely it doesn't make sense just to extrapolate out this this line to to get to zero sperm. But anyway, what can we do to avert this, this zero sperm world that's looming? There's definitely a lot of growing pressure on governments to better regulate these endocrine disrupting chemicals. Well, it is going to be hard to get rid of them altogether because, as I said before, they are just kind of everywhere. Uh, In the meantime, though, there are some things that individuals can do to boost their sperm health, like eating better and exercising more. Because sperm turns over about every 70 days or so, you can pretty quickly give them a healthy makeover. Thanks, Alice. Okay, let's talk about Tesla. As we said at the top of the show, Tesla is now worth a trillion dollars, and that's more than the 11 largest global car manufacturers combined. Uh, It's a staggering rise, really. And the company only started in 2003, and Elon Musk came along in 2004 and put $6.5 million in. Yeah. Um, So Tesla joins Apple and Microsoft and Google as one of those six trillion dollar companies in the US. And as you said, it's the second fastest to do it after Facebook. So you two, be honest, what's your reaction when you hear people talk about Elon Musk? No comment, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan. I often find his behavior appalling. uh, Although I do have to admit, he's built some pretty successful businesses. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for granting that. Um, But look, I, I understand, you know, People are uncomfortable by reports of his behavior and, you know, by him apparently avoiding tax or, you know, how his staff are treated on the terms of their employment. And actually overall about even his his ambition to go and settle on Mars when we our own planet's in a terrible state. But um, I just kind of want to put that aside, really, and talk about his strategy, because that that's worked. Right. And that's the point here of this trillion dollar business that he's made. Yeah, so putting Elon Musk personally aside, um, <laughs> you know, Tesla is not just building electric cars, they're doing other technology, um, including photovoltaics and energy storage systems that are sort of related to the cars, but separate technologies. And then, of course, there's SpaceX, which has also been amazingly successful against the odds. Yeah. And, you know, and Musk and Tesla, they they want to disrupt not just the motor industry, but the entire economy. And one of Musk's aims in um, developing the autonomous driving technology in Tesla cars, for example, is to transition to a sharing economy where you your car is used by someone else when you don't need it. So what do you think is next for Tesla? The company is already a major manufacturer and installer of photovoltaics in the US. And Tesla's got plans to expand this, expand production of solar panels and solar roof tiles. And it's one of the largest manufacturers of batteries and energy storage systems. So, you know, what next? It would be great if (laughs) it'd be great if he could make heat pumps sexy. But (laughs) even Elon Musk. Yeah, exactly. But he might be able to do something like he's done with electric vehicles for, for houses and make like a net zero housing solution that would be available for aspirational and wealthy people 
And then you iterate that strategy like he's done with Tesla and you develop ever more affordable options. Um, so you might end up with a, you know, a net zero Tesla house. Yeah, I mean, I'd live in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've had some interaction with Musk around your book, right? Yeah, I sent him a copy of my book, How to Spend a Trillion Dollars. And he said he'd read it. Um, I didn't hear anything back from him for a while. But then a few months later, something strange happened. The book is about the global and scientific problems that you could solve, or at least you could tackle, if you had huge funds at your disposal. And in chapter seven of the book, I look at the problem of getting carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And I suggest that a good way to do that is to stimulate the development of technology that can do it at scale. And to do that, you could launch a lucrative competition. And I suggested, you know, not having any money of my own, but I suggested <laughs> oh, you know, you could put up a prize of $100 million to the first group able to fix and bury 100,000 tonnes of CO2 or to fix one tonne of CO2 for $200. And this is the thing. After reading my book, Elon Musk announced that he was launching the X Prize for Carbon Removal with a prize of $100 million. Hey, that's really cool. <laughs> you did it. Yeah, well, I do like to say I've spent $100 million of his money, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> but um, why is Musk so interested in CO2 removal? Um, Leia, you're our space reporter. Yeah, well, aside from it being a big problem on Earth, one suspects that it might be because yeah. the atmosphere of Mars is mostly carbon dioxide. Yeah, I do think that is a big reason because, um, you know, everything he does can be seen as a way of ultimately getting to Mars. But also there's a massive market in carbon capture here. I mean, if you can get technology that can efficiently fix carbon dioxide and scale that up, you can imagine the demand from like airlines and individuals who want to pay to offset their carbon emissions. And to, you can imagine the size of the future market. Yeah, I mean, that's just a multi-billion dollar industry sitting yeah, right there. Right. So yeah, look, Musk has his detractors, but just about Tesla's trillion dollar valuation, I hope that it spurs the company on to roll out more green technology solutions on Earth and that it inspires other startups to do the same. Okay, so I asked at the beginning about your Halloween costumes. <laughs> What's your pick this year? And don't say Elon Musk. Well, you can say Elon Musk if you want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was I was actually thinking of another uh, wealthy person who put her money to good use this year, helping fund COVID vaccine research. She's also just a total peach. It's Dolly Parton, but in a mask, so nobody asks me to sing. I'll leave that to her and other professionals. And mine is maybe less topical. I'm planning on going as uh, Coraline from Neil Gaiman's book. <laughs> because I have blue hair right now and might as well put it to use. Yeah, I've gone for a more horrific character, actually. I'm going for the Democratic senator for West Virginia, Joe Manchin, uh, because <laughs> he he's the bogeyman of the year. I mean, he single-handedly blocked Joe Biden from passing like vital climate bills and green electricity bills, and he's really weakened what the US can do in Glasgow at next week's summit. So he's the monster of the year for me. Yeah, absolutely. That's all for this week. Thanks to our guests, Alice Klein and Leah Crane. And thank you for listening. Yeah, as we said, we're reporting from Glasgow next week. So do join us then and please spread the word about our podcast. And remember that the discount subscription to New Scientist is available at newscientist.com slash pod 20. That's it. Bye for now and see you next week. Bye.
Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.